War has plagued humanity's narrative. People rise against people. Nation against nation. Race against race. But do not be deceived. People are not the true enemy. We know our enemy, and we will be aware of its strategy. This is war. Well, again, it is so good to be together with you and with those of you online. We're so grateful to be together with you. Um, for those of you that are new with us, we have a gift for you. Whether you're online or in the room, we would love to give that to you. For those in the room, at the end of today's service, if you'll go to the welcome table in the back of the room, and Miss Alicia's back there, she'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. And so if you'll do that, also if you think about it, there's a Connect card located in the seat back of the chair in front of you. If you'll fill that out and hand it to her uh, before you leave, uh, we'd love to give you a gift. Also, if you're online, we have a gift for you, and they're posting a Connect card right now in the link and that, that's posted in the chat. And so if you'll go there and if you'll uh, fill that out, we'd love to give you a gift for being with us. And right now, we want to let all of you online know and everyone new in the room know how grateful we are to share this moment with you right now. Westside, let's do that together, will you? Yeah. So why do we choose to believe a lie even when we know that the evidence is stacked against it. Why is that? Why is it that you and I choose to believe lies? And we see people believe lies, even though the evidence is stacked up against it. And you go, man, I wish my teenager were here right now. You know, often we believe lies because really the community we're in, I mean, this is why you want your teenager to be in the right community. Um, this is why your parents wanted you to be the right community, because we kind of believe what the culture around us believes. And we also believe lies, really, because we want to believe the lie. We just want it to be uh, true, don't we? Now, it was because people wanted to believe certain things, and because of the culture that they were around believed certain things, that people believed lies like this for a long time, that the earth was flat. Even when the evidence was stacked against it, they believed the earth was flat. Now, I know this is not our time and age. And, and, and many of you, though, not many, some of you may have uh, been in a culture where there were people that believed Elvis was really alive. Yeah. You know, people really. And there was a time, and there's a group of people, there's a community that really believed that we did not land on the moon. Now, if you're here and you believe Elvis is alive, I am so sorry. Um, he's at my house. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he just said he's at his house. <laughs> um, you know, it's easy to detect those lies, especially in today's culture. Uh, but what about this one? You deserve to be happy. God wants you to be happy. <laughs> and we all know that the marriage you're in is, is not one that makes you really happy. You're not happy in your marriage. In fact, you married really young. We know this. And, and it's been very difficult to find happiness. You've been through a lot. And it's clear that your spouse cannot make you happy. The fact that they don't put a lot of effort into making you happy is actually a form of abuse. <laughs> and they're, they're withholding something from you. They're withholding uh, something that you need. But if you were divorced, to divorce him or divorce her and find someone else, then you could truly be happy again. After all, God wants you to be happy, and you deserve to be happy. 
Why is that lie, and many like it, so hard to detect and just so hard, and it's so easy to be misled. We see so many people being misled into believing that lie. See, it's easier to believe a lie when the majority of people in the culture believe the lie. Why do this is unfortunately culture is has over time and time again. It's been the majority of culture that defines truth more often than the truth defining the culture. And we don't recognize lies because we isolate ourselves from the community that is guided by truth. Now, more on that in a moment. We've been in this series called This Is War. And here's a series big idea that we've been looking at over the last several weeks. That there is a war on truth. There is a war on truth. However, as Christ followers, the church, we will not be deceived when we know who God is and who we are in Christ. We are in spiritual warfare. And this spiritual warfare, in fact, this is what spiritual warfare is. Spiritual warfare is the war to believe a lie over a truth. This is what scripture defines as spiritual warfare. It's a battle on humanity's thinking. It's warfare against the thinking of humanity to get humanity to embrace a lie about who God is and who they are or who they could be in Christ. Jesus. And this has been going on since the beginning of time. It's been Satan's playbook against humanity. And this strategy has, has been revealed uh, by the New Testament authors, and the church has embraced this strategy that the enemy, that there is three enemies that are against humanity, that there is a war against humanity. There are three enemies that are against humanity. And, and Scripture talks clearly about these. It, it, however, there's not one sp- specific fa- passage that puts them all together. And in his book, uh, live No Lies, I've been telling you this uh, strategy or this thesis of John Mark Comer's book every week, and I want to go back to it again this week. He succinctly defines what, this, what church history has defined as the strategy and what the New Testament defines as the three enemies in its strategy. He says, we are at war with the world, our flesh, and the devil. The three enemy strategy or stratagem is this, deceitful ideas that played in these disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. Now, there is a great example that some of you may recognize, I think many of you will recognize, of how culture gets to the place of defining truth and how sin can become normalized in society. How many of you remember the online um, hub called Napster? Yeah, yeah. How many, if you don't know anything about Napster, uh, many people uh, who would have said that it was wrong to go into a, a store because there was a time when you would buy a CD in a store and you'd walk out of the store with a CD, okay? I know some of you that just blew your mind that that used to happen. Um, so, but there was a belief at one time, like there, there, it was understood by these people that, hey, and, and many of these people that were behind Napster believed at one time that if you took that CD from the store without paying for it, it was wrong. And really, if in our words, in, in Christ's followers, it was a sin. Um, and, and this is what was the idea behind Napster. And so they, they, they were the ones that would say it was wrong. However, they were the ones who were, quote, sharing, unquote, the music with their friends online. 
without making them pay for it. Now, the, what led to this whole ordeal is the band, and some of you may not know this band either, uh, it was called Metallica. Um, Metallica heard their, heard their song. They were working on a song in the studio, and one day they woke up, and all of a sudden, the song that they were working on was released onto the radio. And they were playing it along with other songs in their album on the radio. And they were still trying to finish it in the studio. And they went to investigate this. And they found out that someone had stole this song from their studio, uploaded it to this online hub of sharing music called Napster. And now it was publicly being listened to everywhere. Metallica sued Napster for $10 million and won in the courts. But they did not win with the public. They did not win. In fact, at the MTV Awards in September of 2020, uh, not 2020, in 2000, this is much longer than 2020. (laughs) The MTV Awards in September of uh, 2000, the creator of Napster gets up on the stage in front of a national live TV audience, and he's wearing a Metallica T-shirt. The host of the show, Carson Daly, looks at Sean Fanning, the Napster, and says, nice shirt. To which Sean replies, thanks. A friend shared it with me. (laughs) To which the entire audience erupted in laughter and applause. And clearly there was a pulse in culture that this was okay. See, what was a crime at one time became normalized and joked about in society. Now, all those in defense of Napster said that they were poor college students. And no lie, this is what they said. They were poor college students who do not have the money to buy their records, so they were justified by sharing these. Because those bands and the companies around them were filthy rich. They were justified in doing this. Therefore, what's the big deal about taking a little bit from the top? See, what was a cultural crime was normalized in millions of people because people embraced a lie. This is how our enemy works. The culture, he he works the culture to change truth and then normalizes sin in a society. And this has been Satan's trick since uh, since the beginning. This trick of the enemy is not new. This has been going on since the beginning of time. And now many people write off the book of Genesis because you, many people think that it's in conflict with science and they can't reconcile. But I just want to recognize something, that Jesus talked about Genesis. He recognized the book of Genesis. And he, 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 he actually, his teachings came from the book of Genesis. Actually, last week we talked about Jesus saying and calling Satan the father of lies last week in John 8. That was a derivative from this passage in Genesis chapter 3. And in this, as we start today's teaching, I want us to read this verse, this passage. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And that word crafty is interesting because that word crafty also means deceptive. It can also be translated as deceptive. More deceptive. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any of the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die. 
the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, all these desires she had, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Satan deceived Adam and Eve right here. He, said, he deceived Adam and Eve into believing something about God. I think that Satan deceived Adam and Eve into believing something about God that many of us have believed about God. That God was holding out on them. That God is holding out on you, Eve. The, the wisdom you desire, that, that wisdom you want. See, God isn't going to give you what you want, so you need to go get it yourself. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with somebody and, and I've talked with friends or, or people that have, have, have just been misled and they felt like following Jesus was a way that God was wanting to keep them from getting what they want. God was holding out on them. They bought into a lie that God was holding out on them, just like Adam and Eve bought into the lie that God was holding out on them. See, it led them to not trust. See, it led Adam and Eve to not trust in God's wisdom and love. And they felt like God was holding out on them. And maybe you think that today. Maybe you're here and, and you're listening and you're watching whatever you're, however you're consuming this. That, and you feel like God is holding out on you. He's keeping you from the happiness that you want. He's keeping you from the fulfillment that you desire. See, Satan's lie is that humanity doesn't need to trust in God's love and wisdom to be happy and fulfilled. This is Satan's lie, that God is holding out on you, and he's not going to give you the pleasure, the happiness, or the fulfillment you deserve. He doesn't want you to experience what Psalm 16, verse 11 says when the psalmist writes, you make known to me the path of life. There's a path that you want me to follow, God, and, and at the end of that path is you're going to fill me with joy in, in your presence, and at your right hand are eternal pleasures. This is what the psalmist would write. And Satan wants to keep you from experiencing that. He wants you to think that God is holding out on you and, and God's not going to give you the pleasure, the happiness, or the fulfillment that you desire. And because the first humans did not trust God, they therefore sinned against God by disobeying God. Their disobedience became the evidence. See, all of our time, our disobedience is the evidence that we do not trust God. And the first human sin then ushered in brokenness into all of humanity. It ushered brokenness. The curse of sin then became part of our human narrative. See, the first human sin caused every human to be born into the brokenness of sin. Our desires, your desires, they're given to you by God. That desire to be happy, that is God-given. That, 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 that our desires to be fulfilled they're God-given desires. However, we need to recognize something. Because of the curse of sin, they're distorted. They're disordered. And they're corrupted. Because they're corrupted by our sinful nature. That's the curse of sin on us. And it's the result of Adam and Eve's sin. 
The Apostle Paul taught this to the church in Rome. The Apostle Paul uh, would tell them that while they were enemies with God, Jesus came to make them right with God. This was his message to the church in Rome. And he opens up the the book talking about the gospel of Jesus and and how, how people have been misled by their desires. And because of our evil desires, we are enemies against God. But God knows that. And while we were enemies, Jesus came to make us right with God. And then he explains why they were enemies of God. In chapter 5, verse 12, this is what he writes. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, speaking of what happened in Genesis with Adam and Eve, and death through sin, that's why everyone has to die. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. See, because you and I are born into this brokenness, And sin, because you and I are human, our desires are sinful by nature. They're against God by nature. They deserve death because they're disordered, distorted, and they're corrupted. And these desires are broken. And what happens is we're trying to fix our broken desires without God's wisdom and without God's love. This is humanity's problem. We try to fix these broken, disordered, distorted, corrupted desires, and we look to fix them outside of God's wisdom and outside of God's love. And we pursue our own broken ways. We pursue our own happiness with broken solutions to find uh, happiness. We, we, we pursue our own fulfillment and, and to find what we want to be fulfilled. And we search for broken solutions to be fulfilled in life. And we do all of this through corrupted pathways, because of the curse of sin, which is also what would be called our sinful nature. See, these are corrupted, God-given desires. See, they are God-given desires, but they're corrupted. We're born into that. And these sinful, the, the, they're, they're sinful desires. While they're God-given desires, by birth they're sinful. And sin has brought brokenness to all people, including me and including you. And we have to recognize that because that is the truth that we, have, we are born into. And these corrupted desires, though they're sinful and desire, God, God gave us these desires. And we need to recognize that these are God-given desires. Yes, God did make humanity in his image. And there's desires in us. But see, one of the things that was in that Genesis narrative is when Eve said, we will be like God. See, that was true. And there's a desire in all of us to be like God because we're made in God's image. We are to be like him. But sin has corrupted that idea. It's distorted that idea and disordered it and now manifests in the way that we say we want to be God. See, we want to be our own authority. We want to have control, not under his control. See, our desires are broken and disordered. All of your God-given desires are corrupted and disordered because of the curse of sin. Your desire to be known, my desire to be known, is a desire that God gave us, but it's corrupted and disordered and distorted because of the curse of sin. Your desire to be loved is God-given 
But it's broken and, and it's corrupted by, and, and, and by the curse of sin. Your desire to work, my desire to work is a God-given desire, and, but it's broken. Your desire to be happy, your desire to be fulfilled in life is God-given, but it's broken. And your desires are all. See, your desire to have sex, your desire to prosper, your desire to love, your desire to be accepted and, and to explore, to find peace, to be all that you can be, your desire to be free are all God-given desires. But we need to recognize that they're corrupted, distorted, and disordered because they are broken by the curse of sin. And they lead us to broken substitutes, to be fulfilled and happy instead of trusting and obeying God's way to be fulfilled and happy. See, this is what Satan does. He plays to our broken and corrupted desires so that we find our identity we find our happiness and we find our fulfillment in anything other than God's wisdom and love. Anytime you try to establish your identity in, in anything or anyone outside of God's love and wisdom, you will never be truly who God created you to be. Anytime you try to find happiness in anything outside of God's love and his wisdom, you will never find happiness. You will be on an eternal search to find your happiness. And anytime you seek satisfaction or fulfillment outside of, of, of God and that, you can search for it in education. You can try to find your sexuality in something or you're going to find it in a relationship or anything else. You'll be searching for that fulfillment for the rest of your life when you look to anything outside of God's love and wisdom. See, Satan lies to us by distorting the truth that God wants you to be happy by appealing to our corrupted, distorted, and disordered desires. The Apostle Paul would say, this way to, say it this way to the church in Rome. As he opens up the letter to the church in Rome, he talks about the great, amazing nature of our God and his gospel, which is the good news of what Jesus came to do to save all who trust in it. And then he talks about these sinful desires. And this is what he says about sinful desires. Therefore, God gave them over. He talks about the people, this group of people. He goes, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And then look at this right here. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. How many times have you read that verse and skipped over that? We get so caught up in everything else. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And how did, how did they know? They worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. They exchanged truth for a lie. And any time we exchange truth for a lie, any time you ignore the truth and you embrace a lie, you worship a created thing and get your eyes off of the creator. You worship and you grab a hold and you gravitate to your identity, your happiness, and your fulfillment being on something that is created instead of finding it in the love and the wisdom of the creator. You're going to rely on those things for your happiness, for your fulfillment, and for your identity. And when we give in to our corrupted desires and do not submit them under God's 
love, and wisdom, we ignore God's truth and live in Satan's lie. To ignore God's truth is to live a lie, to live Satan's lie. And when you give in to those corrupted desires and you don't submit them under God's love and his wisdom, you ignore God's truth and you embrace Satan's lie, a lie that's out to destroy you. And this is spiritual warfare, to get you to live a lie to get you to live in a lie. This is spiritual warfare on the world to get the world to live in a lie. Now, Paul and the other New Testament authors called the sinful desire that, that is at work within us that we all are born into. Um, it, it called this our sinful, our sinful desire, he called, they called our flesh. And they use this word flesh. And you know how in English you can have one word that has multiple meanings and used in multiple different ways? Well, the word flesh is kind of like the word we use for world. You know, we use the word world to mean a lot of things. It's the globe. It's the people. You know, it, it, it's, it's many different things. Well, this word flesh has multiple meanings, and it's, it, it's uh, used different times. It, it can be used to actually mean our bodies, like the flesh on our skin. It, it can also mean to be a people or an ethnic group. And then it's also used in a way to talk about our sinful, corrupted desires. And this is the flesh that Paul would say is the enemy of God. And this is what he would write to the book in Ephesians. In Ephesians, this is a passage we looked at a couple weeks ago. And he says, as for you, to the church in Ephesus, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways, look at that, the ways of the world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, all of us, I mean, you and me included in this, lived among them at one time, gratifying, look at that word, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires, following its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, see, this is the nature of that sinful flesh deserving of wrath. Here we see the enemies, the three enemies at work, the, the three enemies to get you on the opposing side of God. Satan is a deceitful lies work at work in those who seek to gratify the cravings of their flesh so it becomes normal. It becomes the ways of the world. All of us by nature then deserve God's wrath because, because when we live in that, we're opposed to truth. When we embrace the lie, we are opposed to God's work of the Holy Spirit to get us to live in truth. And Paul was consistent in his message to all these churches. And he would write to the church in Rome. He would write to the church in Rome in chapter 7, verse 5. He would say this, for when we were in the realm of the flesh, and here he talks about, he identifies what the realm of the flesh is. This is what it is. The sinful passions, the sinful passions, that's what the flesh is. The sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit to death. Here, Paul clearly identifies that the flesh is our sinful passions at work in us. See, your flesh is the self-gratifying desires that are corrupted by sin. And they're corrupted because of sin. Your flesh is that self-gratifying nature that's corrupted by the sinful nature that we were born into. It's broken and corrupted. At any time, I, I've said this a couple of weeks ago, any time I use that word, see that word flesh in this nature, in this, in this way of uh, reading it, I, I, I interpret the word, I put the word in there and I substitute the word self-flesh because that's really what it is. It's my selfishness that's rising up because I want something. 
And it's my self-flesh that, that is at, an enemy to what God is doing. And my self-fleshness, it wants to keep me and hold me in a prison and a pattern, in a holding pattern of destruction. It destroys me. Anytime I give into my self-fleshness, you know, it destroys opportunities. It destroys my, my connection with God. You know, it, it kind of, it makes God feel far away from me when I put my flesh and I seek to fulfill my flesh. It also can destroy the relationships around me when I give into my selfish desires. See, it wants to enslave me, imprison me to its wants. Giving into my selfish desires leads to slavery, not freedom. That's what that does. Your selfishness wants to get you to give in so it can hold you captive and make you a slave to its wants, desires, and passions. And this is how Paul would share this truth with the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, he would say this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Did you know that that desire you have to be free is God-given and you are called? There's a calling to be free. However, he says, but do not use your freedom, I want you to see this, to indulge the flesh. Rather, so there's a rather, there's an there's a other way of living. Serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out. He says, if you, if you bite and devour each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. See, Satan just doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to leverage people to destroy each other. He wants you to live a lie so that you destroy the relationships around you. You destroy the opportunities of those around you. And so Paul says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit. So what do we do, Paul? How do we get a, avoid this? Walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary. Do you recognize the conflict that he's talking about here? He says the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict. This is war. There is a war inside of all of us. There is a conflict here. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you... Now, Casey, are you sure you want to say this? Because we live in America, and this is the mantra of America. You do you. Do whatever your heart desires. Do whatever you want. Paul said, no. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. This conflict that's inside me, that I recognize it is inside me every day. Every day this is a conflict because this sinful self-flesh part of me wants to raise its ugly head and bring me down and bring me captive into something that God has already set me free from. And our flesh is in conflict with, with the Holy Spirit's work in us. And it's, it's wanting you and I to give in to its desires and not be obedient to God's love and wisdom. 
And these broken, sinful desires, they enslave us by making us give in to them. And Paul tells us that in Christ, we are set free from indulging those things that we want to do, indulging our flesh, giving in to those desires and those pleasures. See, to, enjoy, to indulge is to put yourself in and in, in, in enjoy a pleasure. The pleasures of the flesh. See, there's a war within you and I to indulge ourselves, to do whatever we want. Do you recognize that about you? I mean, let me ask you this. What are you indulging right now? In, 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 what are you indulging in right now that, that in, in order to find your identity? What are you indulging in in order to find happiness or fulfillment? What are you indulging in outside that, 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 that is outside of God's love and wisdom, that is in conflict and is at war? with God's truth. And here's the question. Will you gratify your flesh and be imprisoned? Or will you gratify God and be set free? Paul goes on to identify what, what it looks like when we give into our flesh. See, this is the evidence that we're giving into our selfish desires. It's the acts of the flesh are obvious. He says, this is obvious. Now, it's only obvious when you're walking in God's love and wisdom. Because to many, this isn't that obvious. Because they're surrounded by a community or a culture that doesn't believe it, or they're surrounded by a culture that says, do whatever you want. And he goes, the acts of the flesh, the, the evidence that you're giving into your self-fleshness is this, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, when we feel the conflict that's inside of us, this is the war within us to give into these desires, and we need to pay attention to that tension. This is why we taught in this God's will and regrets that you need to pay attention to that tension within you because in that tension is a war. In that tension is a war trying to pull you in to give in to what you want to do that you know is contrary in conflict with the truth. It wants you to live a lie and embrace Satan's lie by making you ignore God's truth. See, the acts of the flesh are the evidence that someone is giving in to their corrupted desires. These actions are the fruit or the evidence that someone is not being obedient to the Holy Spirit's work within them. And next, Paul tells us how we can see when someone's not gratifying the flesh and someone's walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit. He says, but the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit is love, joy, forbearance, another word for peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And he says, against these things, there's no law. In other words, this is in opposition to your selfishness. This is the fruit of you not giving in to your self-flesh nature. So how can we get there, Paul? How can we get there? Well, he says, those who belong to Christ, Jesus. And I want you to circle this because this is a hard word. Have crucified their flesh. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what's the flesh? Again, it's your passions and those desires that are disordered, distorted, and corrupted by the curse of sin. But those who belong to Jesus, <laughs> we're set free from the giving into whatever we want. And the way we are set free is we crucify 
This is our active part in this. Christ has set you free, but you have to actively crucify your flesh. Since we live by the Spirit, he says, let us keep in step. I want you to underline or circle that word, keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. See, while the acts of the flesh are proof that we've given into our corrupted desires, the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence uh, that we're daily living by the Spirit. And this is why it's so important to know who God is and to know who you are in Christ because Paul would say you belong to Christ. You need to know that you belong to Christ, to belong to God, to submit to his love and to submit to his wisdom means something that we crucify, not gratify our flesh, that we crucify, not gratify our fleshly desires and its wants. See, we've lost the picture of what crucifixion is. We, we poetically made this and lost the brutality in, that this first century culture knew and understood about crucifixion. See, this is how bad our flesh is. In this horrible act of crucifixion, Paul says you need to crucify your flesh. And says it's, he says that it's so bad that you need to put it to death. You need to put to death your self-fleshness, your selfish, sinful passions and desires. And this, this is how you keep in step with the Spirit. That word, keep it, the, the idea of keeping in step is a daily walk. It's not just a once and done. It's a daily thing. And daily, we have to crucify, not gratify our flesh to live in the freedom that God has given us. And here's the teaching big idea I want to leave you with. See, in Christ, I am set free from sin, so I will daily crucify, not gratify my flesh. Day, I, I recognize that I am set free in Christ, so I am set free from sin. So I have the power now, I have the ability now to crucify my, those things that I want to give into. When that tension's there, I know that there's a war there, and I'm going to give, I'm going to give into the Holy Spirit. I'm going to trust in truth, and I'm going to walk in truth. I'm going to crucify my flesh, not gratify it. You might go, Casey, Paul's words are harsh. You know what Paul was only doing? He was only showing you and I how to follow Jesus. Because this is what Jesus would say. Right after Peter would say and have this revelation that Christ is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus would say this, the son of man, speaking of himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. So he just announces that he's going to be killed. They didn't know it would be through crucifixion, but he did. And he was going to come back to life. And then he, what he says next is right on the heels of this. He was willing, he was going to give up his life. Then he said to them all, and I believe this is what he's saying to you and I, whoever wants to be my disciple, you know what a disciple is? Not someone who just knows what Jesus taught. A disciple is someone who followed his way of life. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Take up your cross daily. Deny yourself. Die to yourself. Crucify. Walk in the Spirit daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? See, Jesus calls you to daily crucify, 
not gratify your flesh because there's life. His life. Do you trust in his love and wisdom? You go, Casey, I can't do this on your own, my own. You're right, you can't do this on your own. See, you need the Holy Spirit to daily help you deny your selfish desires and not follow them. This is what the Holy Spirit does. When you keep in step and you, you, you surrender to the Holy Spirit and you follow him, you follow the Holy Spirit and get, uh, surrender the power that the Holy Spirit gives you because you don't have the power within yourself. You need the Holy Spirit's work. See, what would it look like? What would, what would it look like if your identity was not in all those other things that you're trying to find your identity? What if it was in who you are in Jesus? And you submitted to his love and obeyed that pathway. What if your happiness wasn't in anything else and or anyone else other than Jesus? And you surrendered to his love and wisdom and followed that way. What if your fulfillment isn't in anything else other than Jesus and his wisdom? And you followed that way. What if your happiness is not in feeling good? but in being good, by being like Jesus, by following him. See, you can't do this alone. This is why you need the Holy Spirit's working in you and you need a tribe around you that is also guided by truth. And as we sing this song, I want you to sing this song and then our group leaders are gonna go to the tables and after we sing this song, we're gonna release you because you need to find a tribe. You need to find a community. All these groups will be available on our app. For those online, you can join us there. But as we sing, will you maybe use this time, maybe you need to use this time to allow the words of this song to be your confession to God. And then after the song, let's take a next step of faith together. God bless you.